0: In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper.
1: Dr. Robert Clapper is the head of orthopedic surgery at
2: Cedars-Sinai Medical Center.
1: It's
0: Saturday morning, and it's time for Dr. Clapper. Silence
3: is golden when you can't think of a good answer.
0: (laughs) This is the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedars-Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app. Hey Dr. Clapper, how are you? Yes, Doc, I love your show. Thank um, you. Now here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper.
3: Welcome back, weekend warriors. At 8 15, my guest pulling in is a pilot, Chris Russian. I cannot wait to talk to him. Because he's president of a fantastic organization here in Los Angeles at the Van Nuys Airport called the Condor Squadron. For 60 years, these guys have been flying World War II vintage planes for parades, for holidays. It's just fantastic to see these old planes in the sky. The planes they fly are called the T-6 Texan made by North American Aviation, the same company that made the classic World War II plane, the P-51 Mustang. These particular planes, which you gotta see, are called the Pilot Maker. This plane was designed by the head of North American Aviation, Lee Atwood, to help rookies, people who never flew before, become pilots so that they could serve our country and fight the Nazis and the Japanese in World War II and succeed. And it's pretty difficult to become a pilot, but this was the best way to learn, by creating these training planes, the pilot maker. And I can't wait to ask Chris Rushing, because in my world of surgery, the world of sports, the world of art, we need pilot makers. We need people to teach us, but there's one of two approaches to take. Either you're very difficult with your student, that the T-6 Texan is a harder airplane to fly than the Mustang, so you're ready to fly the Mustang when you get to it, or it's easier and you work your way up to flying the more difficult plane. Well, when your life is on the line, You don't have any time for gradual learning. You better be challenged right from the get-go. And all week I thought about where in art, where in sports, do we see the pilot maker either making life more difficult for the artist, the athlete, the surgeon, or actually making it easier for them. So in art, I thought about Saturday Night Live. Lorne Michaels, the creator of this show that's actually still on the air 45 years later. It started in 1975. Look who he has created, a pilot. He's a comedian maker, a pilot maker for comedians, Lorne Michaels. Look at the list, Eddie Murphy, Adam Sandler, Tina Fey, Mike Myers, And they say that movie Austin Powers, Dr. Evil is actually his parody of Lorne Michaels himself as Dr. Evil. But they all have respect for that man, even though he was very difficult on them. Let's listen to Bill Hader and Conan O'Brien, two students of Lorne Michaels and Saturday Night Live, talk about the influence of Lorne Michaels on their lives and how they, out of respect, they still love to make fun of him. But a joke's a half-truth, I think. Let's listen to number one.
4: You and I have something in common. We both owe a lot to uh, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels gave me my shot, gave you your shot. Uh, Obviously, uh, iconic, uh, great man. But let's face (laughs) it, everybody who has worked with Lorne we're all comedy performers and we all when we get together all we do is our lauren michaels impressions yeah and you we and and everybody does them
3: and conan o'brien loves bill Hader's impression of him the most number two yours
4: is i think one of my all-time favorites okay. because you put you got the voice down of lauren michaels but you put a particular spin on it. Yeah. You get very specific with yours. Yeah, yeah. Lauren, Fred Armisen pointed out a thing that when Lauren has to name drop, which he does a lot, because he knows like- He knows all of his he, friends are super famous. Super yeah. famous. He always kind of rubs his eyes like this. Like he's really put out by the amount of famous people he knows.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's a name dropper, number three.
4: So we would do a bit, uh, John Solomon and some of the writer with writers, uh, Lauren, uh, name-dropping serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he, goes was, to, he goes to restaurants to hang out and, and with famous people and famous Cereal serial killers, killers uh, join him. Yeah, and he's to- yeah, yeah. So like one would be like, I went to Kansas City um, with Alec and Marcy uh, to try to get BTK killer off death row. <laughs> and- They said, "Here comes BTK." I go, you know, his name's Dennis.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: He's a human being.
3: I just listen. I love how Conan O'Brien's laugh is so deep because this is so sensitive and real, making fun of Lorne Michaels, but he owes his career to him. Number four.
4: And one yeah, I'd be like, I was at Latonzi with Mick and Jeffrey Dahmer and. <laughs> We had, a, we had this young man, was our waiter and he left and, and Jeffrey said, I have to go to the bathroom. I said, yeah, of course you do.
5: <laughs>
3: David Rubenstein sat down with Lorne Michaels to try to get a peek behind the scenes of how he is a pilot maker, how he is a pilot maker for comedians. Let's listen to number five.
6: And have you ever gotten worried that you picked a guest host who really isn't up to the task? Uh, Yeah. And how do you coach them that maybe you could do a better job or be ready? You can get almost anyone through it.
7: It's an odd hybrid because you're on stage. So there are lots of people who are very good at that. But then there's also cameras. And also the script is constantly changing up to the last minute. So it takes a level of focus. And there's a point at which the host really just gives up and goes, I, you just have to trust it at this point, that we'll, That it will all come together.
3: He does sound like Dr. Evil, actually, the more I hear him talk. Number six. And
6: I was surprised how small the studio actually is. Yeah. Now this is a studio that Arturo Toscanini conducted yeah. the NBC Orchestra at one point.
7: Yeah, it was built on springs, literally. I, he was, the NBC Symphony Orchestra in Toscanini was that important. And Rockefeller Center had been built so they put this in between floors so that the subway noise wouldn't affect it a lot of that was changed when television came in because they thought sound wouldn't matter uh, turns out it did.
8: in
3: number seven
6: I noticed when i was there that you were walking around the set a bit and Uh i notice sometimes when i watch on tv that you're staring at what's going on and um you don't smile that much when you're doing this no and um and do you ever think uh oh this isn't going as well as i thought so you tell the people fix it or do something different in the middle of the show
7: no i mean there's some of that but mostly it's about time so the cast are good enough that if you are running a minute or two long you can just go but they understand and they can just pick it up and go faster or else we take a page out of something
3: this is the soundbite i'm going to play for chris rushing because it talks about everything is right you think it's funny but you still better be ready to change all those gauges in the plane may be perfect but it may not be a good day to fly this is a fascinating concept for the pilot maker or the comedian maker number eight
6: and there are cases where you think you had a really funny sketch or Uh script and all of a sudden people aren't laughing in the studio Mm -hmm. or the reverse is where you're not sure it's that funny and all of a sudden it becomes very funny yes
7: you choose the pieces on wednesday you rehearse them thursday and friday and again saturday afternoon in costume and makeup and then you uh you do a dress rehearsal which is the first time the three four hundred people come in and see it and whatever you thought if they disagree they're right and number nine so we adjust from that things that you thought were surefire don't play and things that uh and a lot of it is placement where they were in the show like if it's a a harder piece if you play it early it probably won't work and so it's it's where you play things running order and also
3: topicality fascinating and finally, number 10.
6: So you don't get uh, people calling you from the, the network that owns you. Let's say it's NBC's owned by Comcast yeah. now saying, geez, you're being too tough on a political figure. They, they just leave you alone. No, they leave us alone. And the Comcast people have been brilliant because,
7: uh, one, I don't think they want to be doing the show themselves. So there's that.
3: When the British contacted Lee Atwood at North American Aviation, said, we want you to build us this British plane, the Curtis. Lee Atwood said, we ain't building your plane. We'll build our own plane that'll be better than your plane. And he built the T-6 Texan and he built the Mustang. Just like Lorne Michael. Leave me alone, let me be, and you'll have a successful show. He's interviewed on David Letterman in 1983. Listen to the young Lorne Michael, not even giving Letterman a chance to ask a question without micromanaging and actually analyzing the very question the host is asking him. This gives you an idea of who Lorne Michaels is and how difficult he would be to work for. Number one, number 11.
9: How are you holding up for with water. the uh, uh, weather here in New York City? Does it bother? A- doesn't, uh, oh, God, right to the weather. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, it doesn't, uh, uh, I'm from Canada originally, yeah. and so I'm, I'm used to uh, snow, and when it snows, it's not that cold, and so I like it. Uh, well, so this didn't bother you at all. No. Do you think I was articulate enough? <laughs> yeah, about the I, th- weather? I think. Yeah. yeah um, now, what you you, you uh, mentioned that I led with the weather. Maybe. Right. As a producer, I probably should have uh, maybe faked with another question and then gone to the weather. Well, the weather. I think the weather was a good opening uh, gambit, uh, going with the weather, and yeah. I think that's the way most people begin conversations. Right. that It takes us off the the hole and uh, and sex, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs>
3: And now, Letterman tries to ask him another question. Number 13.
9: I have another question. Yeah. Uh, now, you, you performed yourself. Yes, I did. And what was the nature of that <laughs> act? Uh, it was, uh, sad to say, a comedy uh, act. Uh, as you can see, there's almost no trace of that uh, left in me. Uh, <laughs> no, I uh, <laughs> No, I, I began, uh, began uh, writing uh, with another guy in Canada, and we would write and perform our, ourselves. I was uh, not great at the performing although I was very good at... Actually, my part was mostly asking questions, but I sort of knew what the answers would be, and then I'd say stuff like, really? Mm-hmm. And uh, really, and uh, I was a pacer. I would sort of, he was very funny, and I would sort of take the pause moment in between and sort of support him during that. And uh, then I began to get more and more interested in producing yeah. and comfortable
3: there. He's difficult, but if you work under Lauren Michaels as a comedian, He's made it so hard and made it so difficult that once you leave him, you become a star. You're capable of having your career and you will blossom because it was difficult. But if the pilot maker makes it too easy, then the difficulty comes in where you actually think you're a good coach, but you actually can't duplicate what he's done. And in the case of the pilot maker in sports, It's Bill Belichick, the opposite of Lorne Michaels, making it easier to fly the plane, not harder. Let's go to number one. Well, remember,
5: uh, when uh, Belichick coached Cleveland, and he admitted this, I believe, right before that first Super Bowl when they beat the Rams. He tried to be too much like Parcells, and he didn't have the charisma and personality to pull it off. Okay, That's why the Cleveland thing, one of the reasons why that, that failed. I think Mangini and McDaniels tried to be Belichick and they didn't have the leadership qualities at that point in time to pull it off. They certainly didn't have the record and I think they failed for that reason. And number two it's hard because you, you need to be yourself, but on the other hand you've learned from the greatest coach of all time. So how do you not take parts of that with you, right? So I just think finding that balance of being yourself and also like applying all the lessons you learned from Belichick and I don't think those two people, in particular, accomplished that. I think McDaniel's, unlike Mangini, now will get. Mangini had two shots and failed. Uh, I think McDaniel's will succeed the second time around, much like Belichick succeeded after failing to try to be like Parcells in Cleveland.
3: Mm. Let's listen to Jimmy Johnson, who many people considered the greatest football coach because he won in both college at Miami and with the Dallas Cowboys. But he considers Belichick the greatest. But he also realized it's because he's a teacher and makes a system and makes it so easy for his coaches. Jimmy Johnson, let's go to number five.
1: But a lot of coaches back in the olden days, they didn't deal with personnel. See, and so today with the salary cap, with, you know, in the old days when they got a great team, you know, like Chuck Noll, they got Terry Bradshaw, they stayed the whole time. And number six. Joe Green and all, they had a great team for a long time. So they were able to win a lot of games. This year's football in the NFL, you have to build your team over and over again every single year. And so you have to be a great teacher. The one thing Belichick is, he is a fantastic teacher. Look at his assistants. He's taught all of his assistants his system. You know, he doesn't go out and hire big name assistant coaches. He grooms them and brings them right on up. He teaches them.
3: And number seven?
1: And that's why he is so good. And, and, again, I don't want to go on and on about it, but I know him and I know what he does. And in today's football, there's very few head coaches can, that can do it all. Some of them are great offensive coaches. Some of them are great defensive coaches. Some of them are good in front of the team in, as far as a motivator. A few of them are good personnel guys. But uh, very few of them can do it all.
3: Let's listen to Team Tebow finally talking to Nick Saban. The first voice you'll hear is actually Bill Belichick. Nick's a tremendous coach, been a great friend, and a coach that I have tremendous respect and admiration for.
1: Coach, I, I know one of your friends in the game, and also a brilliant defense of mine, is Coach Belichick. Can you just share a little bit about your relationship with
5: him?
8: Yeah, well, Bill's a really good friend. Uh, And it started way back when I actually coached with his father at the Naval Academy in like 1981 or something, uh, who was a great guy and a great coach. Um, And I got to know Bill and we shared ideas in football. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and what he's been able to do. And finally, number four.
1: Who's given who more? Have you given more to him
8: or has he given more to you? I don't think there's any question that he's given more to me. (laughs) I mean, I learned probably more when I was a defensive coordinator at Cleveland working under him for four years uh, not just about football but about the organization of having a good program and how to define the expectation for people in your organization uh, so that they knew exactly what to expect and exactly what you expected from them so that they could do their job well
3: when you're a pilot maker the t6 texan making you a pilot and making you a better pilot Whether you're a pilot maker in sports, Bill Belichick, making it easy, making a system, making you feel like you know the game, versus Lorne Michaels, the pilot maker for comedians, making it hard, but those comedians blossom after they're done with their tutelage of Lorne Michaels. We're gonna learn about the real pilot maker. Coming up next, I can't wait to talk to my next guest, the great Chris Rushing from the Condor Squadron about the real pilot maker. The T6 Texan. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.
0: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the ESPN app.
10: What's going on L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. From now on, I am not Robert Clapper. I want you to call me Smokey. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Dr. Smokey Clapper. That's the greatest. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
3: Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited
10: to talk to my guest,
3: the great Chris Rushing. Chris, thanks so much for getting up early to be with us.
2: Hey, good morning, Doctor. Thank you for having me. It's a true honor to be on your show.
3: Well, I really appreciate it. First, I want to learn a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? What'd your dad do for a living? And when did flying enter your heart and enter your life?
2: Well, I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and I I was flying just, you know, as a passenger as a kid and probably developed some, you know, early on passion for flying. You know, it's pretty spectacular to be able to leave the earth and, and fly uh, in the air. So it was pretty young, but I really didn't start flying lessons until I transferred from the Tennessee Air National Guard to the California Air National Guard there at Van Nuys Airport in 1988. That's wow. That's when it started.
3: Oh, my God. I've had so much fun, I don't know if you've been listening to the show, with the whole idea of the very plane that you love so much, the T-6 Texan made by North American Aviation, because the deeper I get into it and learning about Lee Atwood, who designed not only the Mustang, but also the training plane and your love for flying the training plane. So here's the question I've been dying to ask you. Is that plane, the training plane, the Texan harder to fly than the Mustang or easier? And why
2: is it? Well, the the short answer is it is more difficult, and oh. there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, I have heard, and I cannot recall who had told me this, but it was a well-known guy, I remember that, that he said if you want to learn how to fly a T-51 Mustang or T-6, learn how to fly the Mustang first and then go fly the T-6, that the Mustang would be easier. But they're they're both different. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the main thing uh, that I've been thinking about is it's your feet. Uh, right before landing, when you land the T6, we do this little acronym in our head or we say something. Well, we say, pray to God that we don't mess up on the landing. But <laughs> we say happy feet. We take our rudder pedals with our feet and we move them back and forth real quickly because you want to wake your feet up because the, the main objective to landing the T6 is keeping the aircraft straight on the runway. And that's the challenge of a T-6. With the short wheelbase, it becomes more of a challenge than, say, the Mustang, because it has a wider wheelbase. So that's an easy indicator when you look directly at an airplane and you look at the wheelbase that the distance between the left main gear and the right main gear is a good key to if that airplane's going to be difficult to land or not. Now, we are talking about tailwheel airplanes, tail draggers. That's mm-hmm. a special sign-off. It's a special endorsement that a CFI, an instructor, has to give a pilot to uh, have him be able to solo, as we call, a tail-dragging airplane. That's with the tail wheel in the back of the airplane, not on the nose like a lot of trainers, Cessnas and, and aircraft like that. So uh, with a tail dragger, you have to have happy feet. Hmm. To me,
3: the pilot maker in art is Lauren Michaels training on Saturday Night Live, these young comedians. And then when he's done with them, because he's such a difficult taskmaster, they become stars because it was tough. It was like learning how to fly with the T-6 Texan. I want to play a soundbite because maybe this is also analogous to what you do as a pilot of which I've never flown a plane. I've been in lots of planes, but I've never flown one. For me, it's is there ever a moment when all the gauges are perfect? The wind is right, the gas is right, the oil, the pressure, whatever, the Altimer. All the things are right, but it, your gut tells you it's still not a good day to fly, even though everything checks out. Let's listen to Lorne Michaels, Steve Paulette, uh, number eight.
6: And there are cases where you think you had a really funny sketch Uh or script and all of a sudden people aren't laughing in the studio Mm -hmm. or the reverse is where you're not sure it's that funny all of a sudden it becomes very funny? Yes.
7: You choose the pieces on Wednesday, you rehearse them Thursday and Friday and again Saturday afternoon in costume and makeup and then you uh you do a dress rehearsal which is the first time the three four hundred people come in and see it and whatever you thought
3: If they disagree they're right does that happen chris do you do you really feel like everything checks out but something's bothering you about the plane does the plane take on a personality a life of its own
2: absolutely you know especially you know if you own the airplane you know the airplane very well you can it will talk to you and and the t6 will definitely talk to you if you, it'll give you warning signs that it's not feeling well, or we do a, a mag check, we call it, for run-up before we take off, where we check both mags, there's a left and the right, and if it's not running right, it, it'll tell you. You can actually see it on the RPM indicator. You'll get a, a larger RPM drop than the book uh, allows you to, so that would uh, indicate that a spark plug is bad or going bad, or... And even as, as as you're flying, if you're listening to the airplane and uh, or how it feels, or a lot, vibration is a real good example of if is the airplane happy or not.
3: Hmm. That's incredible. I I saw recently a master barbecuer describing what makes him so great as a barbecue expert. He says he looks at the smoke coming up off the barbecue and he can tell how many degrees the heat is by what the smoke looks like and they challenged him they took a thermometer he says i think this is 272 degrees because now the smoke changed and they took the temperature it was 272 degrees does it get to the point where the plane talks to you that vibration you're talking about that it's humming along that everything's just right i guess you got to be a good listener
2: Absolutely, and that reminds me of a story uh, that Steve Hinton told us one time. We were at an air show over at Chino, and he, uh, Jason Soames, was flying by, and he asked Jason, "Was that what his what RPM and manifold pressure was he running?" And he told Jason what he thought it was, and he was right on. So here's Steve sitting on the ground listening to the airplane.
5: Wow!
2: He tell exactly what RPM and what uh uh, manifold pressure that jason was running when he flew by wow
3: i'm a surfer chris for me i love getting up early in the morning i love putting my wetsuit on i love getting my parking spot i love paddling out i love catching the wave i love i love every aspect of it so much i can imagine what flying a plane is like that you know you're going to be flying that day where you're prepping. Maybe you're going down the runway, the takeoff, the flight, the landing. Is there a particular part of it that you love the most?
2: Absolutely. And you touched on it, those early morning flights. Uh, there's one flight that we normally do on July 4th. We fly out to Acton and, and uh, <clears throat> off the 14, and they have a wonderful 4th of July uh, parade down El Camino Real, I believe, is the street there right off of the 14. And it's a real early parade. It's like a 9.30, 10 a.m. parade. And we go out there and we do a flyby for the parade. And that's when the wind is calm. It's not hot. It's just as smooth as glass. And and one thing I wanted to mention about the T6 Texans that we have at the Condor Squadron is we fly formation. So can you imagine surfing with your three of your, four of your best friends in formation, you're you're all four or five on the same way, doing the same cuts, the same maneuvers, the same speed. Can you imagine how fun that would be to do that on a wave? Well, we get to do that in the air, flying formation in our airplanes. Oh, my God.
3: I was in surgery this week with a particular tech that I really love working with. His name is Carlos And I told him how excited I was to talk to you because he always asked me, what's the topic going to be? And I said, it's going to be about the pilot maker. And my guest is going to be Chris Rushing. And I told him all about the Condor Squadron. And then I said to him, you know, who's a member of the Condor is Dr. Sherman, Randy Sherman from Cedars, a plastic surgeon. And Carlos said to me, "Okay, Dr. Clapper, let me tell you a story. I was in this big case, this real trauma, big trauma case, and that's when they call Randy Sherman to come in because he's the best in the business of flaps and all kinds of stuff. He's not just doing nose jobs. He's putting people back together and he's really saving lives. And they set up the room for this trauma case. And Dr. Sherman finally got there and he looked at the way the setup was and he said, we're not doing it this way. Break it all down. And he said, We're going to be here for 10 hours. We need to be comfortable. It's like flying a plane, Randy Sherman said. This has to go here. This has to go. And he made them break everything down and start all over again. He used the metaphor of getting your plane ready to teach in the operating room. So it makes sense that a great surgeon understands the prep that's involved with flying. Tell me a Randy Sherman story.
2: Uh, well, Randy's a fantastic pilot. He he really is, and uh, <laughs> there's there's sort of a joke. Maybe it's more of a dentist than not to pick on dentists, but you know <laughs> sometimes dentists they they forget to put gas in the airplane. You know I don't know why I it's, <laughs> I don't have any facts on that, but you know they're they're so smart. They're really intelligent people, just like Randy, but they miss some of the most obvious simple steps. Oh, my gosh. But not Randy. Randy comes to fly. Uh, every every time he comes to fly with us, he's mentally prepared. And, and that's when you're going to fly, especially formation, you know, because you're trusting the person that's flying next to you, and they're trusting you. And you sign a contract that's saying, hey, I'm going to follow lead. I'm going to do this flight as briefed." And, you know, it takes a certain personality for someone to just give up their their right to uh, make any kind of adjustments or they're going to fly the mission as briefed and that's what randy does you know you don't go off on your own you don't say hey let's do this it's what you do when you show up you get the briefing and randy you know randy flies a lot of different airplanes helicopters and he flies the, the stuff up to the camarillo air force at the uh, commemorative Air Force at the, uh, Cam- uh, Camarillo Airport. Mm-hmm. He flies the Hellcat, the Bearcat, the Mustang, and all of those. So, Randy's very, very talented. And 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 as you, you you went to doctors, you went to school for many, many, many years, and you relate back on that training, and it can mm-hmm. come in a moment's notice. And that's mm-hmm. what we do as pilots. If you have an emergency or something out of the abnormal. You relate back to your training, That's and that's why training is so important because that's your foundation. In the time of emergency, that's what you relate to, just like in sports, right? There's point two seconds left. That coach, he knows what play he's going to draw up. He's already in his mind. He just draws it out for the guys, and they go out and execute it.
3: I want to add – this is my last question <sighs> – how old is that
2: plane that you're flying?
3: 1940. What?
2: Yeah, they were. Most of them were built in the 40s, right there uh, where the war, 41, 42, wow. was. Wow. You know, they wow. built like 12,000 of them, and they, they, and you've been talking about it for the last hour, and they really are known as the pilot maker in the military. The the guys and gals would fly. Uh, maybe a couple other airplanes, PT 19 or BT 13, something. But but when they got in the T6, it was the AT6 for the Air Force version, and then Navy version was the SNJ uh, X, you know, whatever mm-hmm. number it was. Was after they got after they were trained in that airplane, the instructors knew where to send them. Mm-hmm. Not to disrespect the bomber pilots, but the the way the pecking order went was the top guys out of the T-6 class went to fighters mm. because it's a single-engine airplane. You know, the Hellcat, the Bearcat, the Mustang, uh, uh, the P-47, they're all single-engine, uh, single-pilot airplanes, single-engine mm. airplanes as well. But, you know, there's no one, there's no crew resource manager because you are the crew. <laughs>
3: do you feel the presence the thoughts of lee atwood the man who designed the plane all these years later when you fly it do you feel the creator
2: you know more than you can imagine doctor it's because and it's not only him it's the all of the 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 gentlemen that Flew these airplanes, learned how to fly, went off to war, and you know a lot of times they didn't come back. So they mm-hmm. gave the ultimate sacrifice, and and to think about that—that that pilot, he learned how to fly in the in the very same airplane that I'm sitting in, and I mm-hmm. get to fly today. It's just a true honor, and uh, we 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 uh, do a lot of respect to uh, to the folks that you know our predecessors are. The folks that started the condor squadron richard stikes clay lacy our very first sanctioned formation flight was july 4th 1962. wow condor squadron's first flight was and and these were all guard guys from the 115th and the 146th there at the van nuys uh, air <laughs> national guard at van nuys airport and uh, obviously, you know nothing lasts forever. And those good airplanes, the Mustangs, the T6s, they went away. And they've got cargo airplanes, C97, which was a fantastic airplane. It had mm-hmm. purpose. But the single pilot fighter planes went away, and that's what those guys wanted to continue flying with their buddies in formation, you know, single with the T6s. So that's what they did. They all went out and bought T6s.
3: Chris, the greatest thing about talking to you is we, the listener may not know the first thing. I certainly don't know the first thing about it, but I know one thing, passion. And you have the greatest passion for and the love you have for this plane and this whole idea of the Condor Squadron. It's just an honor to talk to you and to enlighten us and to carry on a tradition in Los Angeles, which is very rare for this town, but the fact that you keep that flame going, I want to thank you. And thanks so much for joining us today. It's a great lesson to all of us of the idea of the pilot maker.
2: Well, thank you, Dr. Clapper. It, it, welcome to go look at our website, CondorSquadron.org, and uh, you know we're we're available for flybys. So, you know we we conform with all the FARs and. We typically have a fundraiser every year. And, of course, with the current situation, we weren't able to have a fundraiser. But we do have a GoFundMe account set up for one of our aircraft. The engine is, is uh, mm-hmm. of TBO to be overhauled. So we started a little GoFundMe account. So if anyone would like to you know, be generous and help us out, we certainly would appreciate any generosity that anyone could have. Well, I'll do
3: my best to keep talking about it, Chris. You can know that.
2: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks again, and and come back and see us, okay? I will.
3: I will. I'll be there. Van Nuys Airport, the Condor Squadron. Van Nuys Airport. Airport. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. That's the great Chris Rushing, the pilot maker, the T6 Texan. Don't miss it, and go to their website as well. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. The number's 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN.
0: listening to the Weekend Warrior Show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA seven ten and the ESPN app.
10: What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. All right, start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I have a Beatles wig on. Every Saturday morning from seven to nine a.m. on ESPN seven ten, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. I want to order pizza and Yelp says you're a good place, but I got a long order that's quite serious So wipe that smile off your face. I
1: can see it. I need a pepperoni pizza a <laughs> Chippy Okay, is that it? Hell no that ain't it stay with me I need a combo and a couple of supreme's a couple of deep dish pizzas that'll bust through my jeans Send a 20,000 inch love it for the cheese and, and a female driver that will feed it to me I need a margarita pizza with some buffalo mozzarella a taco pizza by the you couple with sauce and peppers a detroit style greek
3: pizza and seven extra large barbecue meat pizzas five big What's the pizza, name of the caller no again pizza, I, I forgot I need a pizza made of money with a couple
1: of gee stuffed in the crust take it out the register if you must fifty-seven okay. pepperoni pizza with some sauce canadian bacon a little garlic and some mozzarella. You sound like
3: a pretty nice fella So throw a little pizza in it out of in gel. I got a couple people that are coming over there oh my some god I'm gonna come back. Welcome back, uh, Ken Warriors. Let's talk about the pizza place, and then I wanna to talk to Deborah. The best pepperoni Sicilian slice I've ever had in my life is here in Los Angeles, in Westwood. Get that center slice, not the corners, not the edges. La Monica's on Gailey in Westwood. Oh my god, my mouth is watering already it's just like anthony bourdain said it's the right amount of cheese pepperoni and the dough and the chewiness and the crispiness and the tartness of the sauce oh my god it's the greatest thing you'll put in your mouth ever wow that was great all right let's take some calls the clinic's open um actually i'm gonna take a break deborah hang on the line coming back i'm gonna talk to you you're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN.
0: You're listening to the Weekend Warrior show presented by Cedar Sinai on ESPN LA 710 and the
10: ESPN app. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Dr. Clapper says, measure twice, cut once. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Clapper Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of the Los Angeles Lakers
1: Bring my friend, I said you
3: Dr. Robert. That's the Beatles, actually. Wow! Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. Let's get right to the clinic. Let's go to Deborah. You're on with Doctor Clapper. Sorry to make you wait so long.
11: No worries. I'm very happy to speak with you. Thanks for taking my call.
3: My pleasure. Um, do you listen on Saturdays? Every Saturday.
11: Big sports fan. Listen all week long and right. Saturdays too. That's how I, I love everything.
3: it. And what do you do for a living? And how young are you?
11: i'm i love that way that is said i'm 58 um i was a in commercial real estate for 20 years got married late raised my son for 10 years and now i'm substitute teaching and and going back to school for my um education to be a teacher
3: wow that's fantastic i'm proud of you where did you grow up
11: i grew up in long beach with three older brothers and lots of sports
3: i love that good for you all right how can i help you young lady
11: So never really had any health issues. And then about a year ago, I thought it was sciatica, you know, from my right butt cheek all the way down, Mm -hmm. really painful um, to the point where I'm waking up and crying like I can't Mm -hmm. sleep anymore, that kind of thing. So finally Mm -hmm. had the MRI and they said it was spinal stenosis and a disc is protruding causing that nerve pain. So... They did something that I've heard you say, don't do. I've had two shots Mm -hmm. um, and they last about two months. The pain never goes completely away, but much, much, much better. But Mm -hmm. now it's, it's building up again, the pain to the point, like I'm talking to you and I just, I'm sitting and I just, I feel it. I'm, I'm fine. I can survive, but it's, I just know what's coming. And it's just going to get worse and worse. So I mean, I don't want surgery. I don't know what to do.
3: Okay, I'm going to tell you what to do. You ready?
11: I'm ready. I got my pencil.
3: (laughs) I love it. Way back in December, I had a herniated disc and a stenosis in my neck that squashed the nerve. It was, fortunately, I could still use my wrist and hand so I could still operate. But I was not able to surf, which to me is like taking my life away. And Mm -hmm. I... I had a lot of, I got a lot of buddies who are neurosurgeons and spine surgeons who are salivating at being able to say they operated on Dr. Clapper. And I fought them back with a machete uh, because I did not want to go into the jungle of spine surgery. Um, But you know what? Look at me. I'm surfing again. I'm lifting weights. I'm doing everything again. And there is no way that would have been possible in my mind, but it is. And in my opinion... When you start sticking cortisone or taking cortisone by mouth, it's just my opinion, but I believe it affects the normal way the body wants to heal itself. So Mm -hmm. don't do any more shots. Do some people still need surgery? Yes. If you can't pee and you've got a foot drop, then yes, you got no choice. But you'd be surprised how the body can calcify and resorb and kind of work around the issue um, you know when they built the beverly center on pico and westwood the apple pan refused to budge the family that owned it said we're not leaving we've been here since 1947 so they got to they had to build the beverly center and all those other new storefronts around the apple pan which still had its screen door from 1947 they had to work around the apple pan. There's a clap revision for you, for your spinal stenosis it. and your disc. <laughs> okay. Your body, which needs the, the Beverly Center, but it's going to have to work around the apple pan in terms of what it needs to do. It has to work around it. And okay. how do you work around it? So the best clap revision for spines is your spine is like a stack of Oreo cookies. The bone is the cookie. The cream filling is the disc. And the nerve sits right behind the cookie. Your cookie is crumbling. That's what spinal stenosis is. The cream filling Mm -hmm. is is crumbling with the cookie, and it's expanding as it crumbles, and it's pushing on the electronics, the wires, the nerve that live right behind the stack of cookies. There's no way you're going to grow a new cookie and grow a new disc because we get older. We don't get younger. But what Mm -hmm. can you do to put less stress on the nerve, to put less stress on the disc and the crumbling bone. All you got left in that gun, the only bullets you got left is muscle strength. You're not gonna make even more muscle at this age, but what you can do is tone the muscle down tremendously. I'm assuming you're not overweight. You sound like a very fit and skinny person. So if you were overweight, I would talk you into a diet which stresses the disc less. That's something that is in your control. But if you are already fit and of light weight, then that's not something for me to talk to you about. What else can I talk to you about? The, the food we eat is a natural inflammatory agent, particularly when it's sugar and everything that becomes sugar. And I love sugar, and I love everything that becomes sugar. But if I've got a disc that's on fire, then you better stay away from the hamburger bun because the white bread becomes sugar and white sugar that you would put in your coffee, your tea or whatever. You gotta stay away from it. The greatest way you can strengthen your muscles without hurting your disc and your nerve is the pool, the buoyancy of being in the water. It's difficult with the pandemic going on, but in a perfect world, which we don't live in, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you're not getting your hair wet. You're not going swimming. Belly, but, belly button high water, which relaxes your lower back, your hip, your knee. Just stand there. I need you to walk across in the shallow end, get to the end of the pool, and then walk backwards. You walk forwards. You walk backwards. That's it. I don't need you to do anything else. Half an hour, three days a week. You ain't going to be better in two weeks. I promise you, Deborah. you start doing that. A month, six weeks, two months later, you're going to all of a sudden feel strength. You're going to have less stress, less pain. Stay away from the shots, and we're going to do everything we can to avoid surgery. And thanks so much for calling. I'm going to leave you with Volari, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Can't wait till next week. Until then, warriors, I'll see you on the radio.